Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. All right, today I have a remarkable guest, Rachel Forster, who works for a cutting edge nonprofit called Tamar Grow Local. Now, normally I like to give an overview of the speaker and their projects and expertise before the start of an interview, but though I tried to do that, Rachel and Tamar Grow Local are both quite tricky to sum up. Their initiatives and goals in the community are very far-reaching and intricate, but what I can say is that they've helped to make huge strides in promoting regenerative farming and market gardening in the Tamar Valley, a historical farming region between Cornwall and Devon counties in the southwest of England. With just a small team of five people, the organization is on the forefront of agricultural community reinvigoration. So rather than butchering the description, I'll hand things over now to Rachel Forster, who can explain everything much better. Hey, Rachel, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. How are you? I'm really good, thanks, Oliver. I'm in a very rainy, gray uh, Cornwall in southwest of England. Wow, you've definitely got to come and visit us out here in rural Guatemala. The weather is perfect. I've got a view of the lake from my porch. It's sunny, but not too warm. How lovely. Yeah, you've got to start spending winters out here with us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm heading your way. Well, anyway, I've got a ton of things that I'd love to ask you. So what do you say we just jump right into the questions? Yeah, sure. Fantastic. All right, let's get started. Uh, If you could tell us a little bit about your personal background and how you got involved with the Tamar Grow Local organization and sort of how that idea sort of came to be. So... My name is Rachel Forster and um, I work for Tamar Grow Local and we're a not-for-profit community interest company based in southwest England on the border between Cornwall and Devon. Um, It's a rural area, a number of small villages um, that has a grand history of market gardening and fruit and flower production. Um, which was in its heyday, um, it's, it's run for, for hundreds of years since about the 17th century, um, with its heyday in the Victorian period. Um, but it saw a decline in the 1950s or so, where the kind of introduction of um, European fruits and um, competition from growers abroad um, kind of had a real impact on the market gardening industry in this area. Um, And also the two world wars um, also had an impact on the workforce. So it started seeing a decline in the 1950s onwards and um, kind of now there's only 
kind of less than 20 market gardening families in the in the Tamar Valley. Um, so Tamar Grow Local was set up in 2007 to look at reinvigorating um, food production in the Tamar Valley. Um, it started off with just starting off a, a community allotment site, um, but over the next couple of days, uh, next couple of years, sorry, interest grew and um, there was interest in the communities for more food growing projects, um, which led to um, a small team being built at Tamar Grow Local, which includes myself um, and three others initially. And uh, last year, we've taken on two more people. So we're a small team of five. Um, I look after the kind of events and communications side of things, but we also have um, horticultural specialists, uh, business manager, um, horticultural therapist um, and uh, administration assistants as well. Um, and we do a number of different projects, both community based and with small commercial enterprises, such as um, community orchard sites, allotments, um, uh, a honey cooperative, an apple juice cooperative. We run an online farmer's market and also manage a couple of projects in the city of Plymouth um, with Plymouth City Council and Plymouth Community Homes, which is a social housing provider. That's quite a variety of things that you've got yourself into. Uh, what is the <laughs> need within the community that this organization is meant to serve? Um, so it's it's about building a sense of community around food. It's about um, building links with our growing heritage in this area and preserving um, the market gardening knowledge and encouraging people to eat seasonally and try out growing their own food and generally supporting our kind of local food environment. Fantastic. And what have been some of the biggest hurdles in gaining support for your initiatives that you've come across so far? Um, I think um, because we do a number of um, different projects, people are quite can be kind of quite confused about what we do or only be aware of kind of one aspect of what we do. Um, and that's kind of been a, a bit of a hurdle in terms of communications, especially um, of kind of really getting out there exactly what we do and how we can help people. And, you know, it's really it's really nice that people will know us for one thing. Perhaps they just hold an allotment with us or perhaps they only know us for our work in Plymouth. Um, and what's a bit of a hurdle is getting people to see the whole kind of sphere of everything that we do together. Yeah, absolutely. And can you give us a bit more of an idea of some of the products, the interconnected relationships within the community of growers that you've set up, um, and any other initiatives that are representative of the direction that your organization is moving? Yeah, sure. I mean, what's we're quite unique in that we have a kind of nesting approach to our different um community projects that we do. I'm going to give you the example of Harabarrow and Methwell Community Orchard. It's um, Harabarrow and Methwell are two villages very close to each other. And um, when Tamar Grow Local was setting up, um, the community was asked what kind of projects they would like to see or, or kind of gaps in the local food provision. And um, some members of the community suggested that 
a um, orchard where everyone could go and enjoy and share the fruit um, would be a great idea. So to kickstart that orchard, um, we there was a small pot of funding that we received um, from a local organisation, but the main aim was to, to make sure that that's going to be sustainable in the future. So there's a number of different interwoven groups around the orchard um, which bring different elements of the community in and provides for different interests in food so for instance we have um, we had a community apiary in the orchard so people could come and learn about how to keep bees Um, they could pay in advance for um, three jars of the first harvest of honey So um, we had a few people donating £15 um, and they would then receive back three jars of honey on the first harvest. And having that um, kind of initial little bit of money made sure that we could then buy the bees. Um, The bees would then be in the orchard um, for pollinating the trees. Um, The orchard would then attract different groups of people who would want to be involved with the grafting and the planting and perhaps the historic heritage value of the orchard. Um, But what was interesting about the site was that it was an old um, floristry plantation. So it's covered in willow, which has become a real pain for um, clearing the land before we can plant apple trees. So then we thought about how we can clear this um, willow, which was invasive in the the field. Um, So we decided to set up a pig group The pig group um, then attracted people who were interested in looking after pigs. The pigs then cleared the land ready to um, plant the apple trees. So they were our natural rotavators who did a great job. We had a group of of eight pigs. Um, It was quite a long process because we had two rounds of pigs over two years until the ground was properly cleared, um, until we could then flatten it ready to to suitable for orchard planting um, and that that's been a really successful project it encourages families to get involved to, to get involved with food production raising their own pigs for meat um, and having a really close close link with their food which is exactly what Tamar Grow Local wants to do. Yeah these are the things that I was really attracted to the organization for mainly that you take a much more holistic approach to community development and stimulating the agricultural economy of your region by having so many varying enterprises in order to build resiliency. And you talked about a great example of kind of stacking functions and creating connections by Mm. having the pig farmers come in and clear out the weeds and the overgrowth in the orchards. And obviously that serves some very obvious functions, but could you talk about some of the other cooperations and connections between the enterprises that help to build resiliency for all of them? Yeah, sure. So if I lead the orchard into our apple cooperative, for instance, um, if the orchard ever has an excess of apples, they will be able to sell into Tamar Grow Local's apple cooperative, which sells pays a fair price um, for apples um, that are grown in the Tamar Valley, which are then made into juice and sold under the origin label of Tamar Valley Apple Juice um, and Tamar Valley Apple Apple Co-op. It's a retail product. 
um, that's been developed with a number of different growers in the Tamar Valley who um, there's a lot of wastage of apples, a lot of old orchards um, that were growing commercially that are no longer and a lot of the apple harvest gets wasted each year. So we are able to buy, pay a fair price, which covers the cost of someone picking the apples um, and then we are making that for retail. And that apple co-op is open to anyone who has, say, two kilograms of apples or two tonnes of apples. We are, we are able to accept um, any any volume. And it's a really nice project because it links the community. It also links with commercial enterprises. It puts a value on a product um, that is quite often wasted. It pays for someone a realistic price for them to pick the apples and sort through them and deliver to us. Um, and it has a product with really strong local value um, that is also um, valued by local retailers as well. Marvelous. Yeah, I really like these cooperative initiatives that I've seen, and especially yours, that allow people with any size of farm or level of production to have access to a market that they wouldn't otherwise be able to um, get into for the volume of their production. And yeah, of course, it, getting them a, a fair wage for it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we also have the same with a honey cooperative. Again, we accept any volume of honey into that, um, which is really nice. Um, we um, exceed the price that a lot of a lot of honey producers and beekeepers they will sell outside their houses or at their farm gate, for instance, and they'll receive a price there and. Tamar Valley Honey Cooperative is able to meet or improve on that price um, and create again a, a retail project, a retail product that has a continuity of supply, and we're able to meet that continuity of supply because we can accept from a number of different beekeepers um, and and be able to create a commercial product that a lot of um, beekeepers, because they're um, part-time do beekeeping as a hobby as well as holding a job that lots of them are unable to um, create their own products themselves to take to market so it's something that we can help with we can take the raw honey we'll bottle it we we'll label it and um, sell it for them so it's it's great we also have a honey extraction facility um, at our HQ and a lot of beekeepers it's it can be a high investment to start beekeeping and to then have the extraction equipment so we have a clean room um with modern extraction equipment and beekeepers can come and extract their honey for very low cost um and um then supply into our honey co-op or take their honey away um but that's then that extraction facility then supports the running costs of our HQ. It's a service to the local community. And again, it's an encouragement to um, people to start beekeeping as well. Now, aside from just uh, helping along access to market for different farmers, I know you actually go further up the chain and help people to get their enterprises started. Especially land access is one of the biggest hurdles for many people wanting to get started in farming. How has Tamar worked to help aspiring farmers to gain access to land and the basic infrastructure to help them start producing? So we we won a, a farm start called uh, Mill Lane Acres, 
and it's a farm start project where people can come to us with a horticultural business idea um it is it is purely for for startup businesses and say they want to um try out a business idea say for instance growing garlic um so we can um at a at a low rent uh lease out to them one to three acres depending on their business plan and as part of that uh they receive a polytunnel and a water harvesting uh, container, a thousand liter water harvesting container. Um, and they can also um, come to us for business advice or growing advice. We can hook them up with other local growers for um, any help they might need. Um, for uh, contract work that needs doing for maintenance on the fields, then it's nice because the tenants can. Uh, kind of all put in in the pot for getting any maintenance done by larger machinery um, and we can also as Tamar Grow Local help them to sell anything that they grow I mean it's one part obviously being able to grow something a whole other part to then be able to market it and and sell it efficiently um, Certainly. I think that's one of the parts that many aspiring farmers overlook or don't realize just how much input and maintenance that requires. Marketing yeah, and sure. finding access to to um, consumers is often what people are not trained for as much as they can get their land to become productive. Yeah, exactly. And that's where um, another project of ours, Oliver, links into this um, called Tamar Valley Food Hubs. Um, if if any of your listeners want to have a look at um, what we do, you can have a look at tamarvalleyfoodhubs.org.uk. It's an online farmer's market, and we work with over 50 local producers and growers. Um, it's not-for-profit, um, so growers and uh, producers receive 85% of the selling price, and for that they get um, their online presence, and uh, we do the marketing and distribution every week um, of those different products. Um, and it's it's great for small growers and producers because we cover quite a large area. So we're probably a 15-mile radius around where we are based in Callington. Um, every Friday, we deliver out to the city of Plymouth, um, three market towns, Launceston, Tavistock and Liscard and everywhere in between. Um, so it's a really great way for producers, no matter how much they've got to sell, um, they can just tap in their items onto the website and they become ready to sell. The producer sets their own prices and they're completely in charge of um, the availability of that product. So they might only want to sell three jars of jam through us or 10 bunches of leeks. And that's absolutely fine. It's open to growers of all sizes. And the grower is in control of that pricing, which is such a big issue in the UK. I mean, there's such an unrealistic pricing that you see in supermarkets it's the vegetables and the milk um and meat it's it's all very cheap and doesn't reflect the effort for farmers and growers to um to produce it 
Yeah, definitely. The downside of globalism is that everyone is competing for these low prices that wholesalers are trying to bargain down to. And especially in places like the UK, where wages are higher, they're basically competing against other countries that either don't have a minimum wage or have a much, much lower standard of living, especially in rural areas. And it makes it yeah. very uncompetitive for people in developed countries to basically remain viable in their enterprises without undercutting their own livelihood. Absolutely. And I, I think if, if things don't change, then we risk losing our, our beautiful landscape. We, we risk losing our heritage and our cultures around food. And I think it's um, enterprises like this, although very small, um, are, are really valuable um, and will hopefully encourage more people to kind of embrace local food and appreciate that through the quality that is coming to them that um, it's worth paying a little bit more for. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. But I mean, saying that we're really competitive with a lot of products that are sold in the supermarkets because we are working on such a local basis. We haven't got the the background costs of transport in from somewhere else or distribution out or storage. It's um, it's it's it, the the produce comes in in the morning. It's out in the afternoon in the local area, um, and it's it's a great success. Well, that's just it, isn't it? Um, without cutting wages or fair compensation for the producers, there are a lot of ways to reduce overhead by eliminating inefficiencies and cutting out middlemen in the production system so that more money can go back to the pocket of the producers and resources are sort of consolidated much in the way that you've done with your cooperatives. Yeah, that's right. And uh you know the only the only way these these small um, businesses and growers are going to be incentivized to expand their business or or build their businesses is through being paid a realistic price. So what we're trying to do is exactly what you're saying: reduce inefficiencies and um, kind of close up those gaps of between the end consumer and the grower. That's fantastic. Now, I'd like to go back to something that you mentioned a little bit earlier, and that's that I know you've partnered outside of just the rural area of the Tamar Valley and are now working with the city of Plymouth and their healthy eating programs. Could you tell me a bit about how that partnership benefits both communities? So that's right. We are working with Plymouth City Council, um, our local authority, and also um, Plymouth Community Homes, which is a social housing provider in the city as well. And um, the city of Plymouth has quite a lot of food inequalities, um, but it is on the edge of our growing area, agricultural area. So there's a lot of food being produced in the Tamar Valley, which just doesn't making it into Plymouth um, and also not getting to the people who need it most. Um, so Plymouth City Council, um, with support from Nesta, which is a global organisation, and from Plymouth Community Homes, developed a project called Grow, Share, Cook. And what it um, did was encourage volunteers to share knowledge and to um, help grow food um, and then distribute it out to the people who needed it most. So um, we were delivering um, 100 bags every fortnight to 100 different households um, who were shown to be living 
um, with food inequality or with unhealthy diets or with various health and social issues. And um, it's a project where we delivered a bag of vegetables, five different locally grown vegetables each week, um, some of which the recipients grew themselves and shared among others, or which our Tamar Valley producers um, were growing. So again, it's a project nested back with our local producers. They were getting a regular order of, say, a uh, hundred sweets every fortnight or 200 leeks every fortnight and it was a regular good order for them but linking them again in another Tamar Grow Local project um, but it's a project that showed for every uh, pound that was invested in this healthy eating program it received over 10 pound back in health benefits and social benefits that was verified by an independent audit. Um, so it's been a, pro a program which has shown real results. Um, and Certainly, yeah, those a, are some very enviable statistics. Yeah, it had some really positive results, both socially for the people who received the bags, because they were also, as part of the program, given um, cookery lessons of how to prepare um, the vegetables um, found there was a lot of, um, of of gaps in knowledge around cooking health healthy fresh produce, um, and so um, cookery lessons were a vital part of of the project as well. Um, but and it was also a great project because Plymouth City Council really took a holistic approach to this. Um, so a lot of people, if they are um, on low incomes and are worried about their energy bills, for example, do you choose to um, put on your cooker and cook fresh food, or do you pay for the heating for one day? It's, it was a realistic issue for a lot of people living in the city um, that they had to grow choose between cooking or putting on their heating, putting on the cooker, putting on the radiator. And so um, – Plymouth City Council also offered energy advice, helping people to change energy providers and making sure that they had the best deal. So it's linking a lot of different issues together, but focused around food, which was really interesting. It's a great project. Fantastic. Now, I've been really impressed to find... Sorry, go on. So I was just going to say, we're in the third year of that project now. It's um, an hopefully we'll be continuing for the next few years because it, it is making a difference in the city. Yes, yeah, certainly. And to have accomplished so much in just three years is definitely enviable and certainly a model that I would love to see implemented in more community cooperations like this. Mm, great. Now, I've been impressed to find out just how many layers of support that Tamar has put in place to help local farmers succeed, especially between resource sharing among farmers, land access programs, and the cooperative organizational structure that allows those smaller producers better access to market. So my question is, what are some of the areas where you'd like the organization to move forward and provide even more resources in the future? So I think one of the the main areas of growth that we'd really like to see is um, I mentioned our online farmers market, Tamar Valley Food Hubs. We're working the background to that project now, and the the kind of um, software that we're using is an international 
open source software called Open Food Network. It's an organization that has been set up by a number of developers um, around the country and also around the world um, to provide continuity to a lot of different groups that are all doing the same thing. So um, there's a lot of online farmers markets around the the country who are all getting to stage where they needed to kind of really modernize um, their shop fronts. And so Open Food Network got together and has developed this open source software to encourage other areas to set up their own farmers markets and and local food organizations. Um, And it's done remarkably well. Um, It's being used in a number of different countries now. And I think that's something that um, my colleague Sarah is on the board of Open Food Network and it's it's got real possibilities for changing the way that people shop I think I truly believe it it's um it's a great system it's easy to use and I think that a lot of other groups will follow in in taking up that and creating online food hubs in their own areas um it doesn't matter how big or small your organization is if you've got some people producing food, then let's get it out there. <laughs> yeah, excellent. That's very exciting stuff. And I look forward to kind of following the progress as these years go on. Yeah, I mean, and also I think that our the way we work is replicable in other areas as well. I mean, if if you get into that system of linking different community projects together to make them more resilient, um, it's something that is can be used and replicated in in other areas. It's not just just our area, and it can be replicated around the world. It's it's uh, if you th- if you kind of can start thinking of how to nest different projects together and how they work together, and they become self reliant on each other, and it's it's a good model. Yeah, absolutely. That actually transitions perfectly into my next question, which is for <laughs> for how the people listening who are inspired by the initiatives of Tamar, how can they get uh, to work on similar initiatives? in order to get them established in their own communities? I mean, firstly, um, have a look at um, our website, which is tamagrolocal.org. Um, we're a small, very friendly team, so we're more than happy to um, reply to inquiries and, and help people if they're interested in setting up food groups in their own areas. Then. Um, we'd love to hear from you. (laughs) I can certainly vouch for that, for how good you guys have been about staying (laughs) in contact and and keeping up with this interview. Yeah, I mean, I'd also recommend um, visiting the Open Food Network website, um, which has a lot of inspirational stories around um, different food groups. And yeah, just it's finding some like-minded people in your community. It's raising awareness about local food and the positive benefits that it can have for the environment and um, for your local community and for your local heritage. And it's then everything starts from really small projects. We started off with one allotment site. Now we manage, I think, probably 10 different projects at the moment. And, you know, all great things start very small and, they just—it's been a slow build for Tamar Grow Local, but one that has been sustainable and his to the future. Hopefully, we'll be here in another ten years and celebrate here, here. another test anniversary. But um, yeah, it's—it um, starts with enthusiasm, I think, a lot of the time, um, but then grows into to good things. 
Well, I can assure you there's no lack of enthusiasm from the listeners of this podcast. They are very passionate about seeing positive and regenerative change in their communities and throughout the world. So I really hope this helps to inspire them and see how such a diverse and holistic model for rural community sort of regeneration and coaxing it back into the level of productivity that it's capable of, even within the challenges of competing in a globalized market, um, will help to inspire people to basically attempt similar initiatives in their own communities like we talked about. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So now before I let you go, could you tell us how any of the listeners today could possibly get in touch with your organization in order to help out directly? Or, you know, like you said, you're very open to receiving inquiries and to help people sort of with advice on how to start their own initiatives. Um, Are there any other resources that you'd be able to share for aspiring community organizers? Yeah, of course. So I would certainly recommend having a look at our website, tamargrowlocal.org. Our email address is info at tamargrowlocal.org. Um, we've actually had a uh, organization in the U.S. Um, create a case study article on us, um, and that can be found if you Google the Field Guide to Regenerative Economic Economy. Sorry. Um, and you'll find us on there. Um, and also, um, it's really good to perhaps have a look at there's some interesting um, organisations in the UK um, called the Land Workers Alliance, um, the Esme Fairburn Foundation. They all have really interesting um, case studies and information on local food projects and how to get started. Marvelous. That sounds like uh, those sound like some very invaluable resources. And thank you so much, Rachel, for taking the time today. You've <laughs> really opened my eyes to some of the initiatives that you've got working on the ground, and have given me tons of ideas for uh, an organic growers cooperative that we're starting in the valley here in Guatemala, where we live as well. Fantastic. Well, we'd yeah. love to come visit you. <laughs> you certainly should. We could definitely pick your brain for some good ways to get some more initiatives started here. And um, it's just a beautiful place to visit in general. So certainly let's stay in touch. I would love to do a follow-up uh, perhaps in a later season and see how these initiatives are continuing to develop and mature. I'll certainly be following them uh, as they go as well. Great. Thank you. No, thank, uh, thank you for, for, finding, for finding us online <laughs> and finding out about us. It's been really exciting that, um, to have an inquiries from across the world to our, about our small projects. So, um, yeah, we're really chuffed. Well, certainly my pleasure. We'll definitely stay in touch. All right. You take care and have a good day. Thanks, Oliver. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. 
Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you again in next week's session. Thank you.